Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, episode 128. This is the season premiere, if you will. We're on a new day. We've got new theme music, new logo, and new guests that I'm very excited for you guys to hear over the next several weeks. And I can't think of a better way to kick off 2017 than with my guest this week, stand-up comedian, actor, and upcoming Pensacon guest, Mr. Carlos Alizaraki. You may know him as the voice of Rocco, from Rocco's Modern Life, but he's done so much more. He's the voice of Mr. Crocker from Fairly Odd Parents, Deputy James Garcia from Reno 911, and we talk about all of that stuff. I can't wait for you guys to hear this fantastic conversation. But before we get to that, let me tell you about my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. The Unicorn Wranglers are an indie rock band based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and they are very important to this podcast. And that's because they supply the theme music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. And the song you'll be hearing today is D-Rock from their upcoming album, Thunder Snow, which will be out very, very soon. But if you want to hear some of their past music, you can go to bandcamp.com and search for The Unicorn Wranglers. And you can check out their albums, Murder Mystery Night and 95 Flannel, for free. That's my favorite four-letter word, free. Also, don't forget to follow them on social media. They're on Twitter and Instagram, at Wranglers. Just search for The Unicorn Wranglers on Facebook. And be sure to check out their website, unicornwranglers.com. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Carlos Alizaraki. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Hello, this is Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life, and you're listening to the Derek Diamond Experience. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, you may recognize him as the voice of Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life or Deputy James Garcia from Reno 911, Mr. Carlos Alizaraki. How are you, sir? Good morning, Dick. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm sitting. Uh, I'm actually sitting at work doing this interview. I work at a, a minor league baseball stadium and watching it oh. pour down rain. So it, it's, oh, uh, that is so cool. It's uh, it's an interesting place to work for sure, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, very cultural, very indicative of American culture is the minor league ballpark with all the giveaways and the giant boxing gloves between innings and t-shirt cannons. I mean that that's Americana right there. Oh, absolutely. Now I did want to start off by asking you. I know you you live in the West Coast now, but are you originally mm-hmm. like from the California area? Well, born in Yonkers, New York, but uh, yeah, then quickly out to California, grew up in Northern California until, what, 1984, going to college in 90, what was it, 87, moved to San Francisco, and then 94, moved to L.A., so I've been in Los Angeles, but a California kid basically my whole life. Oh, very cool, very Cali. cool. Cali kid. Cali kid. Cali kid. Now, growing up in the in the California area, like what were what were some of your interests growing up? Like, were you big into sports? Were you more of like the the nerdy type of kid? Like, what kind of kid were you growing up? Yeah, you know, which is weird uh, uh, that I ended up in show business. I'm a total jock. We would any type of a ball, a tennis ball, a baseball, a football, a uh, basketball. We were always outside doing something. We were really active kids. Seventy suburbs, really safe back then. So I was totally into sports. I had baseball cards. I collected uh, 1973, 74 tops baseball cards, and I built these little baseball stadiums in my house. And I had a, a couple of die, and I would make up uh, uh, all the rules of a baseball game using die 
or dice. And uh, so I was totally into sports and all that kind of stuff and movies. And well, I was on the swim team. I had a paper route and uh, all-American boy, you know. Did you have a particular no, favorite sport to play? Um, I loved playing football as a kid. Flag football was just my favorite. I just remember the smell of the grass on Saturday mornings. The flag football for sure. I was on the swim team, but that was harder because I was individual. But, yeah, I would say football. And then later on I played soccer. But it had it would have to be football. I got to ask, what position did you play? I played wide receiver and defensive back in high school. Oh, cool. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. I've I've got uh, me and a group of friends. We have uh, a flag football league that we do like every January to to March. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's It's a good, you know, friend and team activity to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um. Moving from like sports and growing up, I noticed that you. Uh, I was looking at your website, and uh, you actually do some stand-up comedy. Now, yeah. That's, now, how did you get into that? I got into that um, through college. I was just you know doing my recreation administration major over there. I thought I would work in health clubs or ski resorts and things like that. And I got into some. I got into some mime, and then I got into some stand-up comedy through that. Um, that was in 1985, 86, and then I formed a duo with another buddy. We were called the Brouhaha, and we used to p- perform at this place called the uh, Metro Bar and Grill, which was on 12th and K in Sacramento, an underground club. It was really cool, and so I, I guess just kind of fell into it through college, and then in 87, I moved to San Francisco and worked at a couple different health clubs during the day and did stand-up comedy at night, and next thing I know, I was going on the road, and I became a full-time comic, so... Yeah, it was born out of just uh, me not really being the uh, scholastically uh, uh, skilled. Um, so I, I went towards stand-up comedy, and the rest is sort of history. Use your humor to make money, basically. Yeah, use your humor. And I always thought, oh, I can't. I'm not going to be able to make enough money doing this recreation administration thing. I'm 40. What are we going to make? $24,000 a year living in a, a studio apartment? No, let's do this comedy thing and see how that works out. <laughs> and I did notice yeah. that you won a uh, San Francisco comedy competition uh, in '93. Yeah. What, what exactly? Even... What exactly went into that? Was just just like the a collection of comics get together and people vote yeah, on the funniest one. I think they started with 40. Um, it may have been more comics than 40. And then you make it through the preliminary rounds and you perform at different clubs and then you have judges and then hopefully you make it to the top 20 and then the top 10, the semifinals, and then you make it to the finals. And Pat Oswald and Mark Marin were in the finals. The guy, Richard Kearns and Stephen B. And myself and Pat Oswald and Mark Marin were the top five at the, I think the Veterans Memorial, gosh, what was that called? The Masonic Temple, actually, the Masonic Temple downtown. That's where we had our, our final night. And, uh, yeah, you just make it, you keep making it through the, the different tiers of comics. And I, I guess I made it all the way, you know. And then after that, I remember the next morning, back in the days when you had an answering machine, there was all these managers that called from L.A. And this was the, this was the big ticket. I was flavor of the month for sure. <laughs> and uh, that was 1993. And so I moved shortly after that because uh, I had gotten Rocco's Modern Life as well. So with those two calling cards, I said, hey, man, I'm I'm uh, loading up the truck and moving to Beverly. You know, I'm doing the clamping thing. I'm getting out of here. 
Now, did, w- growing up, did you always want to go into acting, or did you want to be a stand-up comic, and then from there you kind of fell in love with the acting thing? Like, how did you transition from one to the other? I don't know how it happened. I, I just, like I said, I was never into drama or didn't take any formal training. I, I as a kid, I used to watch Carol Burnett's show and Bob Newhart, and I loved this stuff, and I didn't know how one became uh, part of a television show, as it were. You know, we were so naive. I want to be on television show. So stand-up comedy, I thought, was always a means to an end for me. I wanted it to lead to other things. And I've talked about this with Tom Kenny, of course, Tom's SpongeBob. And we had the same kind of uh, reverence for stand-up, which was not that we wanted to be the best stand-ups, but that we wanted stand-up to lead to other things, which was voiceover and acting. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought rather than going into acting class and which I subsequently did, I, I think stand-up comedy is a good pathway to get there. So um, I used that to get into voiceover and then other things like we know 911. So it was definitely a good breeding or, and or training ground for, for everything else. Once you're a stand-up, it really allows you to do a lot of other things. You really ha- it really, gives you some metal and gives you an armor that you're just not afraid to do anything. So I still do it, but if I had my preference, I would do it for fun when I want to do it, which is what I've been able to do rather than continuing to be a full-time comic on the road. You know, that, that life was hard. So I, I was glad I was able to transition um, from a full-time stand-up comic into a voiceover and acting rather than just being a full-time comic. So that's been a, it's been lucky for me. Oh, absolutely. Now, you said you got the job as Rocco on Rocco's Modern Life. How was yeah. your time doing that show? I had a blast. I, I always, you know, that'll always be my first cartoon. You know, you can't take that away. So, yeah, I, I loved it. I remember it was Poolside Studios in San Francisco on Steiner and Lombard behind Mel's Diner. There was a little studio. Joe Murray uh, had this little project, and I auditioned. With Nick Jennings, who, who now is running Powerpuff Girls, and George Maestri, and I got Rocco, and I, I just said, "Coffee State is a very dangerous place," and um, I, you know, I I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that it was fun. I'm like, "Oh wow, this could be cool." And we did the pilot, and I was on the road in Seattle at one of the comedy clubs. I think it was called The Last Lap in, in Seattle, and I remember getting the call that Rocco was going to go to series, and I just thought, "Wow, I've made it. This is it. This is I, I get I get to get off the road." No more traveling. It's a comic. I love it. So just doing Rocco, the first day I came in, Charlie Adler was there just ripping off pages, doing three or four different voices. It was pretty much Tom, Kenny, and I's first cartoon. So we were learning on on the fly. And Joe was very meticulous in particular, and he still is. We've recently um, gone back and done a new Rocco recording. I think we're allowed to say that. yeah, I think that's out there. We just can't tell what the story is. But yeah, it's uh, it was great. I, I Rocco's my favorite. He's just so sweet and subtle. So I had a blast. It was all brand new, and uh, I, I would, yeah, I I loved it. What do you think was the the appeal of Rocco's Modern Life? Because that was during a time where I like to call it the golden age of Nickelodeon. Because you had Rocco's Modern Life, Rugrats. Doug and several others to follow, like Hey Arnold, yeah. Angry Beavers. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think resonated with the Rocco's Modern Life show? Because there were so many people you know, that absolutely loved that show, myself included. What do you think the appeal was? 
I know the appeal with the like for that age is that Rocco was them, you know, this twenty-year-old guy living apart, out, living away from home, mom and dad in Australia, and working in a comic book store, and just trying to navigate his way through a crazy, a crazy life and a crazy world. So, I think that's why it resonated with kids that age. It's like, yeah, man, I, I think weird things, and I have goofy friends. It was almost like a Dungeon Dragon kind of appeal to it, like you know, turn your, turn the page, wash your hands. Turn the page. Hey, Rocco, let's go over here. Let's eat some chokey chicken. I didn't know, guys. You know, Rocco was cool. Rocco was an everyman. He had a sort of a Winnie the Pooh quality to him, where he's just he's an everyman. You you can identify with him. So, um, yeah, I think that that's why that, that that's why it had such an appeal is because Rocco was out on his own, like a lot of people who were watching it, you know, and just having adventures that. You weren't quite an adult and weren't quite grown up, but you were just trying to figure things out. And so I think that's why it uh, it made people identify with that show so much. And kind of going off of that, like I've gone back and you know, I recently bought the, the series on DVD and I've been going back and watching it. And you really think about it, it does have to do with a lot of everyday things. But I think as a kid, yeah. you don't really think about that. You know, you've got you know yeah. Rocco going to the mall to uh, to buy Spunky uh, a dog bowl, or just going to the grocery yeah. store to get you know the the ninety nine percent off sale. It's just yeah. mundane things like that, but they're so funny and so comical. And I think the characters, even though they're animals, they're relatable in a way because everybody's got the the nerdy friend like Philbert, yeah, yeah, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, he would just do ordinary things, even when he was a phone sex operator. Oh, baby, oh, baby, oh, baby. You know, everybody's had a really crappy job that they really didn't want to do. You know, Mrs. Bighead. Oh, Rocco, dear. Um, you know, that was, yeah, he was just trying to make his way through life and finding himself in these weird situations. So even as bizarre as that was, you know, that happened to people. They did weird telemarketing jobs and they would just take any, I worked at a liquor store, I remember, and just selling liquor to drunks, and so it was so Rocco, you know, and I, I remember talking to Joe Murray, too, he said he used to sell Christmas trees door to door, but what he would sell was a ticket, or he would give you a ticket to go to a Christmas tree lot, and he goes, I felt so bad because these Christmas trees were terrible, and I would sell them a ticket to go to a Christmas tree lot and get a Christmas tree, and I go, that is so Rocco. And that ha- and that's what Joe Murray did, you know. Hello, I'm selling Christmas trees for Christmas. Well, actually, it's not a Christmas tree, but it's a pass to get one. So, would you like to buy one? I mean, that was so, you know, autobiographical, you know, so Rocco. And um, yeah, everybody just it's it's very stand by me, you know. It's a very, you know, hey, we're we're mates, we're buddies, and we're gonna try to make it through this crazy life, you know. No, absolutely. I do have to ask, out of all the episodes of Rocco's Modern Life, did you have a particular favorite? Oh, God, there were so many. I do, You can't squeeze cheer from a Christmas vlog is one of <laughs> my favorites, a Christmas spell. Especially that was a Doug Lawrence uh, or Mr. Lawrence-directed episode. That was always so good because he was so sweet to that elf, you know. Don't worry, Mr. Elf. We'll help you. Um, I think that was one of my favorites. Um when he was talking to his throw-up Earl, what was it, Earl Spew and Upchuck or whatever, it was like a pizza 
mm-hmm. they came out of the toilet and started talking to Rocco. It's been so long since I've seen him. I really like that one. Um, oh, and Wacky Deli. You know, I am the cheese. I am the best part of this film. Yeah, the Wacky Deli was was just bizarre, just Dali-esque and strange, you know. So all of those, uh, I would say, it were some of my favorites. I can't really pin down one. Yeah, Wacky Deli is definitely up there. It's it's one of the classics. Now, as yeah. far as voice acting in general, um, how exactly do you say like nail down a character's voice? Like you know, with Rocco being a wallaby, he has that Australian accent. Like, how, what's the process that you go through to figure out a character's voice? Because you've done you know Family Guy, Cat Dog, um, Fairly yeah. Odd Parents. Like, how, how do you go through and I guess find that voice? For each character. I don't know. Sometimes, you, sometimes you're working with a director, a director, and sometimes you're working off the visual. Rocco was very jowly and had big, innocent eyes. And they didn't want an Australian accent at first. They 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 were dead set against it. And uh, I just tried something at the very end, which was just like, gosh, I don't know. Um, maybe we can talk like this and see what happens. And they're like, you know what? That does sound kind of okay. Let's 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 lay that down. Um, so sometimes it's just pure guesswork. Sometimes you're working with a director like Butch Hartman really helped me find what Mr. Crocker was. I, I originally wanted him to be Richard Dreyfus, Gene Wilder, and Montgomery Burns from um, from The Simpsons. And it was kind of a mixture of all three. And I think it was – I had that idea, and then Butch was like trying to steer me towards that way of making him a little bit more manic. Timmy Turner, Terry's! Oh, yes, Timmy Turner, mother! And we came up with that voice. So in in that instance, you know, Butch helped shape it. And in, in the case of Rocco, I just kind of looked at him and said, Yeah, to me, he talks like this. And, hey, you cat dog! Hey, you prick! Hey, you cat dog! <laughs> Winslow, just to me, had that kind of... And then Laszlo. Laszlo was really sweet. Hey, hey, Scoutmaster Lumpus. You know, you just... You go off the visual sometimes, and then sometimes you work with, like, uh, like I said, with with the uh, director to to help you get there. Um, recently, I've been doing Skyler for uh, Elena Valor, and he's just a. I work with Sam Regal. He was a director, and Craig Gerber, Craig Gerber, and we kind of came up with that sort of Latin American, very positive voice. Let's go, Princessa. So, it, it varies. Um, you know, sometimes you see something and you just know where that voice is going to be. And sometimes it's like, I have no idea what this character is supposed to sound like. So it, it can, uh, it, it all depends on certain variables. But, um, uh, gosh, what was another one I did? Uh, oh, um, on Juniper Lee, I played Monroe. He was a Scottish pug dog. And I always liked Billy Connolly. So I just tried to copy Billy Connolly and, and, and did that voice. And uh, it worked out. Juniper Lee, what are you doing? So it, there's all kinds of influences or um, what, what do I want to say? There's all kinds of uh, uh, things that go into creating a voice. It, it, it can vary. I've always been curious about like what goes through a, a voice actor's mind when they're you know, if they're working with someone who has like a set idea, oh, this is what I want the character to sound like, or if you have the freedom to kind of come up with it on your own. But that, that that's that's fantastic. Now, yeah, yeah. 
One thing that I, when I was looking up your uh, your um, film resume, I had no idea that you were the voice of the Taco Bell dog. Yeah. No, that was Terry Berlin. That was her direction. I I came in and did, uh, yo quiero Taco Bell. And she's like, you know what? Uh, everybody's been doing that, so why don't you just do like your own voice, like yo quiero Taco Bell, and do it like a little bit more hushed now. Yo quiero Taco Bell. I'm like, yeah, that was a waste of time. And so, you know, that was her... That was her direction that helped steer it that way. But yeah, I was the Taco Bell dog in 1997 to 2000. That was just really one of those bizarre, iconoclastic hits that I was just so uh, lucky to be a part of. And uh, who knew, right? Who knew? It was just a simple voice, and it just resonated. And it's it's one of the most you know known commercials ever. Yeah. Yeah, it um, yeah it just I was in Hollywood Squares for gosh sakes I was sitting underneath Whoopi Goldberg and like what am I doing here I'm just the voice of a dog this is bizarre. Oh, people you love to talk about Bell dog. <laughs> yeah, they really did. And like I say, it was just so bizarre to be that a part of something that that was that big. I was like, okay, I, I'm glad people like it. You know, this is this is awesome. One thing I do want to ask about, uh, kind of transitioning from voice acting to live action acting, uh, you were on Reno 911 as Deputy James Garcia. I, I know a lot of people who are huge fans of that show, myself included. How was your time on that show? It's great. It was just playing. It was just goofing around. You know, uh, I had met everybody there. I'd never met Tom Benner Carey before. Um, I met C.J. Garber, Anissi Nash, Wendy McClendon Covey. We we all just met each other, and we were going through this audition process for a show called um, Ugly Americans. It was a sketch show. At that point, Wendy wasn't there. It was Amy Brissett. And we read a table read for Gail Berman at Fox, and they said, we don't want to do any sketch show. Think of something else. And so Tom Lennon and Ben Grant and Carrie Kinney Silver said, we're going to make fun of us cops and call it Reno 911. Go home and think about characters. And so I sort of developed this kind of, you know, uptight prick, Barty Five, <laughs> self-loathing, Mexican-American guy named James Garcia, and you know, play-by-the-rules guy, you know. Well I, well, I like to do things the way I like to do them. And then they partnered me, we, me with Cedric, and we went out, and um, one of the first things they did is they turned the camera on in the trunk of the car with a dash cam. They said, go drive around and start making stuff up. And one of the first things that happened was he turns on music in the car and it's boom, bum, boom, bum, boom, bum, boom, bum, da, 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 boom, bum. And I'm like, we're going to listen to this jungle music. And whoa, right away, that sort of racist partnership was born between Garcia and Jones. And it just, and it just worked. You know, we were just playing. I got to ride around in a, in a cop car with Kenny Rogers. It was just bizarre and fun. And my time on the show was great. I loved it, you know, just making stuff up and being goofy and driving around in a fake cop car and pulling out in an intersection to have people just back off because they think you're a real cop. It was <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It looked like so much fun to do. It, it's oh, just, it was great. It, it's fun to watch, and I, I think to myself, those guys must have had a ball uh, oh, on set with this. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, do you yeah, prefer... Oh, go ahead. No, no, it was just a blast. It was just making stuff up and then 
Hey, do it again. That seems good. Now change this. Now change that. Do it one more time. Got it. Moving on. <laughs> Now, do you prefer? Uh, do you have a preference on uh, live action acting or voice acting? It's well, re it's relative to the project. You know, you can do a voice acting gig that's a video game that's very wearing on your throat and it hurts and you don't want to be there, um, and that's very tedious. Or you can do a live action thing where. It, Your call time's eight in the morning, and they don't need you till six at night, and you're bored, and it goes really fast, and it's not that exciting. So it's relative to the project, but you know, Reno versus Rocco, they they each had their own sort of enjoyment. So those were two fun jobs. But I've been on jobs where on camera jobs where it's not that exciting, and I've been on voiceover jobs where it's like, ugh, get me out of here. So they're both fun, but they both have their individual merits or whatever they both they both uh, kind of satisfy different artistic um uh what was the word i'm looking for the artistic um, satisfy endeavors. your artistic yeah. appetite yeah exactly appetite that's what i wanted to say so yeah but reno was great but there, there was times where I, i would drive out to set on reno and i would be there all day just sitting in my trailer waiting waiting to get out so that wasn't so exciting per se But once I was out there and uh, filming stuff, it was a blast. That's fantastic. So, what role do you think that you get most recognized for? You know, like if someone stops you on the street and says, "Hey, I recognize you from this." Is it from Rocco? Is it from Reno 911? What is it that you get most recognized for? Well, I think on the street, when it's just normal everyday life, it's probably Reno 911 um, because I was on camera and therefore. People could see me um, when I go to cons and stuff. People, it's anything. It's it's Reno, it's Rocco, it's Spyro the Dragon, it's Crocker. So depends on where I am, but I would say civilian-wise, people will go, "Hey, you're that dude from Reno 911." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's cool." And it seems to happen more now than it did when, while the show was on. So it's kind of cool, even though I'm much grayer than I was, except when I dyed <laughs> my hair for other products. But so yeah, Reno. I would say Reno. That's cool. That's very cool. Now, do you have any uh, projects that you have upcoming that you can talk about? Uh, let's see, upcoming projects. Um, I have uh, Elena of Avalor, I think we talked about before. That's on Disney. That's a really popular cartoon right now. Disney's first Latina princess. I play Skylar, who's a jackwin, which is a macaw and a jaguar. It's a flying creature. Um, let's see, more Fairly Odd Parents are coming out. Um, I did a short film. That I'm sending to festivals called The Callback with Mindy Sterling and Lorraine Newman and Cedric Jarborough. And I'm taking that out to the festival circuit. Um, I'm currently trying to pitch a couple of animated shows. Um, of course, there's a, a, a new Rocco project that we recorded. And I think, we, again, I think we're allowed to say that. And that's going to come out pretty soon. Uh, so that was a blast. Um, I'm working on something called Rescue Riders for DreamWorks. And I've, I just got nominated for uh, an Annie Award for Ponce de Leon for Sherman and Peabody, and which I didn't even know. I woke up a couple Monday mornings ago, and they said, you got nominated for an Annie. And I've been nominated before, so that's kind of cool. Um, and then on-camera-wise, I'm always pitching projects and uh, putting things together. So um, that's about it for now. And congratulations on the award nomination. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it was for, for I, I thought uh, for sure it was going to be for Crocker because I've been nominated a couple of times for Crocker, 
And so when they said it was for Ponce de Leon for Sherman and Peabody, uh, I was like, oh, okay. I remember having fun. I remember the writing on that show being really good. And he was, you know, I am Ponce de Leon, and I know everything because I am from Spain. And I, I remember it being really, really, really fun role. And so to get nominated for that was like, oh, that's cool. Hey, really neat. That's so awesome. I, I had no idea. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about, because this is upcoming uh, in February, is a convention that you will be at here in the area that I'm from, Pensacon. Uh, or have you ever been to Pensacola before? I haven't. I've been to Fort Lauderdale. I've been to Orlando. I've been to Miami. Um, I've been to other places, but no, never never Pensacola. Oh, fantastic. I know a, a lot of people are, are excited to, to have you here. Um, I'm excited to have you here. Um, you know, as yeah. hopefully, you know, it'll go over really well. And ha have you been doing the con circuit for very long? I um, off and on. I really don't do a ton of them. Um, right now, I have two daughters, so I don't really travel that much. But um, yeah, I have been over the years. I have, and uh, this year I'm doing Pensacon and then Lexington Lexicon, which is a big one in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, but no, I don't do as many much as uh, some of my friends. But I do a few a year, and I, I enjoy it. It's, it's fun to kind of go out and meet people. And like I was a big my uh, my con representative represents Linda Blair, and I'm a huge Exorcist fan. So for me, it's I always wander around, and I like to go meet other people that I'm fans of. So that's what makes it cool, and it's really neat to meet the fans that like your stuff. You know, it's very flattering. They, they really are are knowledgeable they know way more about my shows than i do and i like it i like being out on the floor and just talking to people and being goofy and taking pictures and and whatnot it's it's a it's a good time fantastic now last question is there any social media or websites that you'd like to plug for yourself well it would be carlos ellis com at carlos ellis rocky twitter um, also Facebook, the, there's the, the, the Carlos Ellis Rocky page and, uh, I'm working on putting more voiceover stuff up there. I'm going to do some videos coming up so people can see the stuff I do right now. I'm on a, uh, I'm on a political show every Wednesday morning. So a lot of my tweets have been politically based, but we're trying to switch over and do some more voiceover stuff so I can get some voiceover people to come to at Carlos Ellis Rocky Twitter and we can post some stuff and, uh, keep you abreast of everything that's going on fantastic well carlos thank you very much for uh for joining the show it was great having you on and i can't wait to meet you at pensacon thanks Derek. likewise thank you for having me on my thanks again to mr carlos alizraki for that wonderful conversation be sure to follow him on social media and i can't wait to meet him at pensacon in just a few weeks but next week, we'll be discussing the world of comic books with comic book writer Woody Arnold, who has worked on the Thunder Frog and Cyber Symbiosis books. So if you want an inside look at the world of comic book writing or just writing in general, definitely come back next week and check out that awesome interview. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter. My personal page is at Derek underscore Diamond. The new show page is at D Diamond Podcast. And the Derek Diamond Experience is now on Instagram. Just search for D Diamond Podcast. 
and search for The Derek Diamond Experience on Facebook. And I believe that does it. So enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Tuesday. been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.